Hello and welcome to our Gem Pursuit. My name is Matthew Weldon, your guide through the magical and mysterious world of antique and vintage jewellery. This week I have a very special guest for you, joining us all the way from Los Angeles. This lady I met first in my store in Dublin at the very start when I bought uh, this shop. She's a real passion for jewellery and a great knowledge and to be fair, one of the most amazing stories about a piece of jewellery with royal provenance. So without delay, let's get into our chat with Dr. Victoria Waller. Victoria, you're very welcome. Oh, so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I know you have multiple facets to your career and your interests to use facets, pardon the pun on that one. But we're going to hear about a really interesting piece of jewellery that you've got. I know you've got a lovely collection, but this, I don't know if you'd call it a star or one of the stars, but maybe give us a bit of background to your career and what you do day to day. Well, what I really do, which is funny, I had, I've always been a teacher and I Uh teach learning differences. I'm going to hold this up because you can get this book on called Yes, Your Child Can, Creating Success for Children with Learning Differences. And I've been a teacher for a long time teaching very smart kids who have learning differences. And so I was always a teacher, but I love jewelry. And I started about, oh, in the early 90s. And I've always liked it. And I started collecting. I started collecting probably fobs in the early 80s. I would go to London and I would go to that street on Saturday that they have all the dealers set up and I would buy these fobs. But I've always liked jewelry. Then I got my gemology degree. I loved it. And that was the hardest test I've ever taken in my life. My doctorate was 800 times easier than that test that you get. You have 10 stones and you have to tell what they are. Well, that's fine. That's easy for me, right? I was dealing with dealers that had big, beautiful pieces. I Ten stones, they were so small, and I finally passed the ten stone challenge, but it was not easy because they don't give you good stones. And I started, I knew a lot of people. I was worked at the Children's Museum. I had loads of people I knew, and so dealers started giving me their jewelry, and I would go to the studios and meet with the heads of the studios, and they would choose things for their wives, and then the dealer would give me a piece of the action of what it cost, But these, you know, heads of studios were spending a lot of money in those days. And that's, I had like a side business and I loved it. Now it seems to be, I think people aren't, because they're so worried about having things being taken from them. I don't know. I I stopped selling the jewelry and now I just, I still do my teaching and I wrote a book and things like that. But I, I love jewelry and I love teaching kids. So I'm lucky. I have two things I love. Yeah, I mean, you've got a great eye. I genuinely believe you have a fantastic eye. And that's, isn't that a phrase that people don't use so much anymore? But, but, you know, it was a dealer who had a good eye would always get interesting things. One of the pieces I bought from you, which I had on today, but it goes all the way down and you wouldn't be able to see it. But it was a little, it's like a little um, letter and you open it up. It's the most beautiful, it's like a charm that you, and I put my other dog, when the dog died, I put her hair in it. I love that piece. I loved everything I bought from you. <laughs> and that envelope, I remember that well. It had, 
it opened, a little section of it opened and had a little turquoise um, where, where the class would be. And we're, we're talking, it's about matchbox size, maybe even smaller than a matchbox. Well, yeah. And I wear it with, it would be like one that would be on my stick pin thin, but I have it with two others that have the same, the same stones. So I have it on just a necklace alone because it's my dog's hair, you know, from the old dog. I bought a beautiful emerald ring from you. Do you remember from like 1820? I remember that emerald ring. It was eight sides. What is that called when it's eight sides? Something uh, like what? Octagonal emerald cut. Yeah. And the, I remember the beautiful Colombian emerald and the diamonds were these beautiful, chunky, old cut. Like they were almost taller than they were wide. They were super unusual stones. Yeah, you've got a beautiful collection for sure. But amongst the collection, you you know, we're, there was one that we really wanted to talk about. And it was actually a turquoise piece as well. And you sent me this story, Victoria, and I read it and I just, there's so much to it. It's an amazing story. I wonder, could you talk us through that, the piece and the story? Okay. So, oh my gosh, you're going to hate this, but. <laughs> oh, I'm going to love it. <laughs> I was born on May 8th, 1945, the day the World War II ended. Okay. Victory day. And I was born, I know this is weird, with a V on my elbow. And my uncle was in the war and he had written my mother a letter and said, I had a dream that you're, you had a girl born on the day the war ended in Europe. And she, of course, got the letter after May 8th, 1945, because it took so long to get there. But he had had that dream. I had a V on my elbow. My mother named me Victoria Elizabeth B.E.J. Now, as a child growing up, it was a horrible name. I, it was just horrible. Now I'm Victoria. But in those days, it was like, I couldn't spell it, Victoria Elizabeth. And it was just a mouthful. And it was always, my mother always said, you know, this is your special. He wrote this letter. Then you were born on the day the war ended. Okay, mm-hmm. fast forward. It was my birthday and it was a month after my mom had died. And my family was out and I was walking around the house. I don't know. I was just thinking of her and just, it was, I mean, she was old, but it was sad. Your mother. And the phone rang and it was this wonderful jeweler from Chicago, Judy Rosenblum. And she, like you, had interesting pieces. And I would always find something she had. And she had just gotten back from a buying trip in London. And she, I said, oh, did you find anything special for me? And she went, well, I found something. I don't think you'd really care about it, but I bought this turquoise encrusted eagle boat brooch and it was given by queen victoria to her bridesmaids yeah and i immediately said without seeing i have to have it it's queen victoria <laughs> i have to have it okay so i was born on that day okay so my entire life my mother had always said i'm special you're a queen just like queen victoria that was always part of my background so on this day when my husband came home, I said, you don't understand. My mother sent me this brooch. And he's going, what? <laughs> Your mother died. <laughs> and I go, no, no. She sent me this brooch. Why would Judy have called me? It wouldn't have been anything I would have bought. And she said, well, I did buy this unusual piece. But I'm telling you, I know that my mother sent me that mm-hmm. brooch. My mother sent it to me. And the brooch came. I think, do you have pictures to show the people? Yes, we do. And we will put some links into the notes of this podcast and you can see exactly a picture of this brooch. Okay, so the brooch came in an original box 
and it had a letter from 1866 that read, Eagle worn by the 12 bridesmaids of Queen Victoria. This is the 13th sent to her as a pattern and given by the queen herself to the Countess Josephine, Countess Duchess Josephine Wardislaw, who at her death left it to Mrs. Hudson in 1866. The piece was purchased from Marie Hudson, a descendant of the original Mrs. Hudson. Wow. And the, that is amazing. <laughs> I mean, it's such an. I thought it was one of the bridesmaids, but now I I had all of the people, uh, Diana Scarsbrick, all the really big English dealers looked at it, and they said it is definitely. It wasn't. It was one. The Queen had apparently asked many jewelers to make one for her, and the ones that she had extra, she gave to her bridesmaids and she gave to different people. But there weren't, I don't think, a lot of them made. And it has a cab ruby for an eye, talons gripping the two pearls, and it's English and it was made in 1840. And it's in an original box by the company, which is I Turner something and Sons. I have that written down somewhere. And I sent the picture of the brooch to Diana Scarsbrick, who is one of the big, was one of the very big dealers in London. And she was a writer and knew everything. I mean, she's written all these books. Mm. And she said, brooches of this design, the eagle crest of Prince Albert of Saxe-Colberg-Gotha, were given by Queen Victoria to her 12 train bearers as mementos of her wedding. Today, when they're kept in the family, descendants of these well-born young women continue to wear them. I've seen some pictures of people wearing it. I get so excited. Additional versions of this eagle um, were made for presentation at the time of the wedding. So we don't know how many were made. I don't know how many are left. I know the ones that were on the bridesmaids, those 12, I think, have been handed down. But you're talking hundred and. 160 years, a long time ago. Yeah. Years later, Judy Rosenblum was asked by JCK Magazine what piece of jewelry in all her years as a dealer was she sorry she sold? And she said this one, the turquoise encrusted eagle brooch given by Queen Victoria to her bridesmaids with a letter from the family explaining its provenance. I never feel badly about selling a diamond, but it's hard when it's something that has real history and story. And I truly believe that for this, we're the holders of the piece. And then it moves on. But my fa- my husband comes home later that day, and I told him that my mother sent me something while he was out. He went, Vicki, your mother passed away. I said, no, no, no. <laughs> I know my mother sent me this, so you can't get mean at, mad at me. And he looked at me and he said, does this mean every time you find a great piece of jewelry, you're going to think your mother sent it to you? Well, I have to tell you, many years have passed indeed, and my mother spent some wonderful jewelry, but none like the Kohlberg Eagle. But the fun thing that happened about, well, I started doing the stick pin thing a couple months ago, so maybe it's five months ago. What comes up for auction but a stick pin of Queen Victoria? Now, how weird is that, that out of nowhere I decided to get stick pins and make necklace, take the pin off and make necklaces and all of a sudden a stick pin my husband goes oh no I said no I'm not going to spend a lot of money on it don't be silly and I guess nobody and it said 
They think it was owned by Queen uh, Queen Victoria. They really don't know. I mean, there's no provenance. Yeah. It came. It looked. I mean, it looks very old, um, and it has a crown on the top of it, which you have a picture of that, mm-hmm. and an old picture of her inside the little, little circle. And it was funny. I was bidding against people, but they weren't bidding more than like ten or fifteen dollars over. So I got it under, I think, like six or seven hundred dollars, which is a oh. lot. In. But it was so funny. It's like, and it's in an original box too, which I just think it's so funny. Like, what are the chances that there was Queen Victoria's dick pin floating around, you know? There seems to be something, like, as I said, the jewelry sometimes picks you. You you don't even, you know, a lot of the time people don't even pick it. It just, it presents itself to you. And I'm sure that, you know, as soon as you started collecting stick pins, that a Queen Victoria one appears. There's definitely something in that. I mean, there, oh God, so much to talk about with these two, right? But with the, with the Kohlberg Eagle, I mean, it really has everything. The piece, it has in the original box, and as you know, uh, we've, uh, we've, we've met at, a, at, the, at the show in New York recently, uh, it's so hard to get these original old boxes. And that alone is a thing of beauty, which I think is very impressive. And then obviously there's the brooch itself, which we'll get to, and then the, the provenance. I mean, you, you sent me a really nice picture. The paper, the little paper that it's written on who it was given to, and that piece of paper was 1866. But it's in such good condition. It's so, it's very legible and it tells you exactly where it's from. And the fact that it's the 13th, as you said, the, the, the 12 train, be- or the train bearers uh, had the other ones. And then this was the 13th one, like the real proper Victorian piece. Anyone who's listened to this, if you want to get a visual picture of this, you should definitely look at the podcast notes because it's a beautiful piece. Uh, the two talons, as you said, Victoria, clutching the, the pearls. And it just, it has it all. The interesting thing, when you're going for these pieces, Victoria, I'd love to, you know, you've been collecting for a few years now. What what are the things you tend to look for? Uh, or I know they they present themselves to you more than you seem to go looking for them, but it, what grabs your attention when you see a piece? Is you it- know, I don't know. Uh, the fabulous ring that I bought from you uh, mm. Big moonstone and rubies going around it. I would think that's, I would think that's very early. How? What? What? It, what do, wouldn't you it, think that? That's very early. That that's early. I think that's. Uh, I think it's French, and I think it's Belle Epoque, or just before the Belle Epoque, because it's all gold. So if it was Belle Epoque, which is just after nineteen hundred, it would probably be platinum. So I think it's before that eighteen eighties. Yep, I think so too, and. I, I, I don't know. I just, it's, if something is unusual, I usually mm. don't buy things that are just very usual, just like the earrings I'm wearing mm. um, are the old, the old brooches of flowers. Mm. And I have, don't forget, I've been buying stuff for years. So I'm, <laughs> you know, during COVID, what do you do? You play with your jewelry. I mean, what did you do mm. during COVID? And I, you know, saw all these flowers and I thought, oh, I'm not going to wear them. What if I make them into earrings? Now, People who know these earrings that are early get mm. upset and go, you 
You made them in the earrings. You ruined them. I didn't ruin them. I wear them all the time now. Otherwise, I wouldn't be wearing the pins. But mm. I always bought the pins. I always thought they were very pretty, all hand done. I loved mm. it. So, you know, now I don't care. Now I make them and I love wearing them. And I wear different different ones, which a lot of people go, you're wearing two different earrings. Yes. you know. I went through different phases. I started off buying fobs. I was fascinated with old fobs and chains and very unusual ones. A lot of ones with had animals and unusual. Everything was always unusual. I never bought like the regular kind of thing. And I didn't buy a lot, but I bought Mm -hmm. what I bought was good pieces. Mm -hmm. And I went through all kinds of, all kinds of times. I I liked Mm -hmm. your bows very much. I went through, I got those. Oh, yeah. It's very funny. And now I'm into stick things. Everybody goes, now she's into what? Because <laughs> I had I had them. And I thought it was so cool to make like a necklace with them. And you saw the one I made. I have a Labrador. Yeah. And, and there's very few, but there are Labradors from about 1910. And they're early ones. And those are the ones. And I got about eight of them. And I made a chain and put, you know, took the stick pin off, which jewelers hate that I did, but I don't care. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it shows the, the breadth of antique jewelry. I mean, it goes, let's not forget the, the jewelry, when you go even from 1820 to 1920, there's so many different countries who have their own designs and so many different time periods within that. So it's so easy to get into a new category. I could see how that could happen. Uh, what happens to me all the time, actually. <laughs> so I start, I, I, at the moment, I really, uh, you know, we're starting to buy a bit of 1940s pieces, which are that slightly chunkier gold. Yes, people like those, except that's the gold, though, because those were big, chunky. That's Those are usually very expensive now because of the gold, because there was a lot of that gold, the big, wonderful bracelets where you have so many good pieces. I mean, I said, when I told my husband I saw you, he went, uh-oh. He knew. He said, uh-oh, there's no way you came away from there without buying something from him. I said, he always did something I like. <laughs> and I love this. I just love this ring. I bought a moonstone ring for. I've never seen what is that called when it's up like that? Cabochon, but cabochon is a rounded gemstone. But this one is like a. It's like a quite a high dome. It's like a sugar loaf cabochon. Sugar loaf. That's yeah. what it's called. A sugar loaf. I mean, it's the most unusual. And I love moonstones. And it's funny. I have a moonstone, a little band. And somebody said, hey, why'd you buy that? I said, because I've always liked moonstones, but I really haven't seen any moonstone jewelry. And then I walked up to your booth and saw it, and it was like, okay, I want that. And when I called Marshall, he went, you found something already? You've been there five minutes? I said, well, you know. <laughs> I work fast. <laughs> well, I mean, your moonstone band is, that's a very unusual piece to get. A moonstone, old old moonstone eternity band we'd all a lot of people be familiar with a diamond eternity band to actually get one with moonstone that's a super rare thing and i don't know why well, i like moonstones but that's funny because that i don't have i do have moonstone earrings oh. so i have a little outfit now <laughs> an outfit that's the word yeah and and the 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 ring that you got for me which i think looks fantastic in your moonstone and ruby outfit it's it has a moonstone, he said, sugarloaf with rubies around it. Gorgeous, though, rubies. Gorgeous. Beautiful red. Very good taste. I mean, the problem with being friends with you is that you have very good taste. So I'm constantly online looking to see what Matthew has. And Marshall goes, oh, no, she's on looking for what Matthew has. You can't buy taste. You either 
have it. And you could, I'm sure at this show, you could see, I went, Marshall said, well, how many people? I said, no, there weren't that many with great stuff. It's so funny to me, like, you have to have good taste. There are loads of jewelers around, but they don't all have good taste. And you, when you started, you were very young, I think, when you started. But you've been in the, your family's been in the business, right? Yes, so you've yes. you've been around jewelry for years. Hmm. But still, I don't think you can have that. I think there's something in people that either they have it or they don't. Hmm. They either have that taste or they don't in the jewelry they have. I can go buy a million things and it's all ugly jewelry. There was a, yeah, and, and they don't have the taste. You have the taste. Wow. And you're very young, but you were brought up with it. But still, you could be, even though you were brought up with it, you could be someone who doesn't have the taste, but you have like very, I love your taste. <laughs> Every time I told my husband, oh, Matthew's going to be at the show. He went, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate those kind words, Victoria, especially because you have such some beautiful jewelry yourself and you've been looking for years at all the different uh, trends and different pieces. And of course, taste develop as well, I suppose. No, I don't think so. I think you either have it or you don't. I, I really do. I don't believe... If you go around a show, I mean, I whipped through the show in New York and it was funny because a lot of the old dealers were there that I used to buy from oh. and they, at certain dealers have good taste. They do and others don't. If you look at their jewelry, I'm sure you walk by and went and saw, oh no, not for me, not for me. Mm-hmm. And then you find somebody that you like their jewelry. Yeah. Oh, well, it's interesting you said that because you can, when you go around a show, if, if anyone's been to an antique show, you know, they can be enormous shows and you can tell in seconds whether a stand is going to be right for you or not. It's really quite amazing. Now, sometimes there's there's one thing that's mixed in across all the other stuff, but usually you say, actually, do you know what? I love that stand. I can tell straight away. Uh, and I really, I'm glad, well, that I feel like uh, I have to work doubly hard to make sure that we keep that standard up now. But um, but I'd, gra- like Grania, who worked in, in Courtville before, um, before I took the reins, you know, she left a great legacy there, I think. And also my father and uh, my mom and obviously their parents as well worked in the business. So yeah, I'm lucky, blessed in, in that I could see the nice pieces when I was younger. So um, it just instills it in you, I think. But I, I, sorry, I do agree with you. Yeah, if you, you know, some dealers still, when they tell you, this is great, it's super cheap, you should buy it. I'm like, no, but it doesn't matter how, if it's not oh, a... <laughs> it's so ugly. Yeah, it's, I wouldn't want it, even if you, it's worth the gold weight and less than that, because it's not even, I'd be selling it for the gold weight. So I, I totally agree with you with that. So um, any plans in next year to visit any shows or have you any? Uh, oh, you know, it's very funny. We were in New York for a wedding. So it just so happened you were going to, I was very excited about that. No, oh. the shows, the shows in LA just, well, we haven't had anything since COVID. Mm. Chosen LA just aren't, you know, I know the dealers that are in LA and I'm really, I'm not looking for anything, you know, at at this point in my life, except stick pins. But I think, I think I've, I think I'm done with stick pins, but you never know. Like I found Queen Victoria. So yeah, it would have to be something very special, I'd say. Yeah. And I'm not spending that kind of money anymore that I did before on, you know, jabos and things like that. And, you know, you're not wearing them. Everybody keeps everything in the, in their banks. 
I said, boy, if there's ever an earthquake here and they say the bank has gone under, you're going to see an old woman <laughs> running across the street to the bank. <laughs> okay. That'll, when we see that picture beamed across the world, we'll know that's you. But touch, wo- touch wood, it never happens. Victoria, thank you so much for sharing those stories. You're so generous with your time and your knowledge. And I know the, the listeners at Gem Pursuit are really going to enjoy listening to talking about the trade and about the Kohlberg Eagle. And it is a really special piece. Would you call it a star of your collection? I think because I'm Victoria. I mean, and I've always had this thing. And then it came to me like the week after my mother passed away. It was just, it's one of those things that meant, it's called meant to be, you know, it's just, yeah, it's very special to me. I mean, I don't, I can't ever, I don't know. It's just very, the whole thing was just so weird with her dying and then then this coming to me. Yeah. As you said, I think the, the best way I think you could sum that up is that it was meant to be. And I'm delighted that you got it. And it is for me, having uh, looking at that, I mean, the Moonstone ring you've got is, is a beautiful piece and they're all beautiful pieces. That I think for me has a certain level of interest and it is definitely a star of any collection. And uh, I'm delighted that you've, you've got it. So uh, I'll keep, I have to keep my, my eye out for something comparable now. So yeah. uh, I don't know. I haven't seen anything really from Queen Victoria lately. You know, it would be half, just like that stick pin. That was just a couple months ago. And it was mm. so weird. Like, where did that come? I was dying to know who owned it, mm. you yeah. know, but they don't tell you anything like no. that. And that's what nice, the nice to get the provenance with the eagle. Yeah. That's hard thing, so. Because they, they did say, they sent it around to people and nobody really knew. Yes, it was made, but they don't know if she ever owned it or anything like that. And maybe it was just made at the time she became queen. I don't know. But they didn't know where it came from. And I don't think there are any more. Nobody seemed to have, you know, have one to be able to write and say, oh, yes, she had these. These stick pins were made and such and such. But it was no. old. I don't know when it's from. Yeah. And and sometimes the history is lost. But as I think as you su- as you summed it up very well earlier when you said that you know we never really own these pieces. We just guard them for one more generation, and then someone else gets to enjoy them. So Victoria. We saw each other in New York, as you mentioned. It was pure fluke that you're in town, but there is, of course, a few big shows in the States and other places in the world. Well, But what is your favorite show to go to? And what kind of goes on at, at an antique show like this? Well, truthfully, my favorite show before COVID was Miami. It used to be in February. I think it's in January this year. Only because there's hundreds, I think, right? I don't know how many now. But there's so many dealers that you can, well, you spend four or five days there and you go, to me, I go down and up one aisle and I concentrate on that. Maybe I write down if I see something I like, then I go to another aisle because there's so many. If you see things, you go, oh, but should I buy this? You know, and then and then you forgot where you were. I think it used to be a very good show because there were dealers from all over the world. But, you know, I could go by and see, oh, that person has 1980s jewelry. I don't care. I know who to go to just by looking. Uh, the New York one, I thought was very, it was small, but they were very good dealers. But a lot of them had newer jewelry, and it, you know, or big jewelry, you know, that wasn't 
I was looking for your kind of jewelry, which I knew you and I was happy you were there. And there were some old dealers that used to be that I knew that are probably my age that were there. But usually, you know, I go to, I went to, um, oh, they had a show here called the Pickwick Show. And it said two jewelers going to be there. And I thought, oh, I have never gone to that. And it, they have clothes and stuff. And there was a dealer. She had very nice things, nothing for me, but she did have some nice small pieces that if you wanted something. So if you're somebody who wants jewelry, go to all the shows because that's how you learn. And you learn what you like and you learn prices, which is very important. Yeah, and I think that's, uh, yeah, like a Miami show is enormous. I think there was about 600 exhibitors in the last year. I mean, all laid out and your strategy, I, I love your strategy. You pick one row and go to it because you do have to be careful. Even, uh, you know, if you see something nice on one of the first few stands and you think, well, I'll buy that. But you might get to the back of the room and realize, oh my God, there's something amazing. But you've obviously already spent everything that you plan to spend. So it's, uh, now you have to balance that though, don't you? Because if you see something nice on the first stand and you don't go for it, by the time you come back, it's gone. It might be gone. So no, you can't worry about it. It's like if that if it if okay, here's the rule. The rule is Oh, okay. Listening. Oh okay, you find a piece. Would you go to the bank for it? Would you give up your children for it? Is this the last piece you can't stand leaving it back? But my husband said the problem is my answer is always I can't live without this. <laughs> He said, you never do that. You never stop and say, okay, let me go look. It's like, I can't, you always can't live with anything you see. But it was, would you go to the bank for it? Would you go right now, leave this place, take your money and go to the bank? And he said, the trouble with you is you always say yes. I would love to see one of these debates. They sound brilliant. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I don't know. Well, like when I saw the ring, mm. I'm going to explain it to you. You were, you were okay, but you were the second person I saw. The first person I walked in and, she, okay, there's a charm. I saw it online and it said a little bucket and it had a little jewel on it and it said last year's jewels. Oh, and yeah. Little, okay, so I thought that was the funniest charm for me because- I always go, Marshall will go, don't you have that? I'll go, oh, that was last year. <laughs> that was five years ago. I thought that was so funny. I have a jeweler in LA who's the best bench jeweler you've ever met in your mm. life. A. Baldassi. He's, he's Italian and fabulous. And I looked it, a whole day. I looked at 3,000 charms online. 3,000 the whole day. Oh, my I God. They had that charm and it said sold. So I took a picture and Gabe made me last year's jewels the little bucket it's a charm and he put real jewels in the inside but you don't see them but he put real little diamonds and rubies inside it's like a little like a little pail okay mm. i walked into the show in new york and there was the original oh one my. in the first thing i saw and it said last year's jewels but it had fake jewels coming out of it and it was really i bought it in one second and now I have both. I have both of them hanging. Both of them now. God, that was another one meant to be you now. But doesn't that seem to happen if you're looking for something specifically, and you look and you look, and you never get it, and you think, oh, okay, I'll get it made. And then lo and behold, you walk into a show, and it's the first thing you come across. That's an amazing. It's amazing. But I think it's just there's just something 
you're a jeweler, if you collect jewelry, I, I don't even mean to collect. I didn't mean to start a, a stick pin collection. I didn't mean to. And then I just, it happened. I found one and then all of a sudden I went and went, wait a minute, I have a little a little bunch of them, you know, and I didn't even realize I haven't seen them in years. So I started making my little chains. I always find something, I love jewelry, you know, so I always find, I just don't buy the big pieces anymore because I don't wear them. You know, we're not going to black tie affairs, you know? Yeah, I think you can get the enjoyment out of the, as much enjoyment from, $300 purchases at 3000 sometimes. But yeah, it, and yeah, Miami is, is a great show. New York, we met a smaller, more boutique. But if anyone's interested, you know, to really learn about the jewelry, I think that's a fantastic piece of advice you gave there, Victoria, to go to the shows, you'll see the different types, you'll learn about the values. Most jewelry you'll see there will probably be modern, pre-owned, but modern but you find some dealers who specialize in the antique, antique stuff. And they always have, you know, the different, the really unusual different pieces. I mean, there's shows everywhere. It's not just, of course, there's Miami. There's a big one in Las Vegas, which is a trade show. So you'll, you'll need to be in a trade or get the documentation together somehow to let, so they'll let you in. There's a big one in Ireland. We have a big annual show in September once a year. Now, it wouldn't be anything on the scale of, of Miami or, or New York, but it does have very good quality, I would say about 40 dealers, but they're all vetted and very high end. There's ones in England, there's ones in Belgium, the Netherlands, uh, all over Europe, you'll find them as well. So you just have to find the ones local to you. And of course, a trip to somewhere abroad is always fun as well. So, But it's also who you, you know, it's also who you find. You know, when I was in Ireland, I mean, I went to a lot of stores and I went into yours. And of course, I liked the jewelry the best, but I liked you. You know what I mean? I think that's very important too. I find, you know, like in life, you know, you find people you like and you find people you don't like. And I find, you know, if I walk up, I always like the people that when I was younger, I would say, oh, I like this. And they would almost teach me. They weren't thinking, oh, she's not going to buy. I'm not going to talk to her. And those people who taught me are where who I buy from because they took the time to tell me about a piece or, you know, even though I wasn't buying yet, they were very lovely. And it, there's personality involved. You know, you have to buy from somebody like you who has a good personality and is bright and knows the jewelry. But they have to be bright and, and honest, you know, not telling you it's, oh, this is 1902 and it's not. It's, you know, 2025. Victoria, thank you so much. It's been an absolute blast. I really appreciate you joining our Gem Pursuit today. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I hope to see you again. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, we have notes on what we spoke about with links and anything else you might need in the description area of this podcast. Of course, we did miss our trusty co-host, Elise Ketcher, but she will be back. I'll also say thanks to our podcast producer, dustpod.io. Until next time from me, Matthew Weldon, see you soon.